everyone and welcome to another episode of Heroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast. My name is John and with me as always is my co-host Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm okay, John. How are you? Uh, I'm okay too. Uh, in this episode, we'll continue with our season four theme uh, of covering female action heroes. Today with the Thai film Chocolate, released in 2008, directed by, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, Pancha Pinku. Uh, starring uh, the newcomer Ji Jayanin. Uh, and as we've been doing lately, we'll jump straight into our dis- the discussion for our film of the week. Uh, so Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie uh, and your history with it? After making Tony Jaa an international star with Ong Bak and uh, The Protector, director Pracha Pinkao wanted to make a movie with a female equivalent. He discovered Ji uh, Jayanin, uh, an 18-year-old already experienced in Taekwondo, when casting for another film, and he found his ideal female hero and decided to build a film around her. Yanin underwent two years of training with Pana Ritakrai's stunt team while the script was developed. Pana may be a familiar name for, for listeners since he is Tony Jaa's mentor and fight choreographer. After two years of filming, the team turned out the movie Chocolate in 2008. So, the plot summary goes like this. Zin was once a member of the most dangerous mafia in Thailand, and also mistress of its leader, Number 8. When she falls for a Japanese Yakuza named Yasashi, she is exiled from the gang by Number 8. He also forbids Zin and Masashi from being together. Masashi returns to Japan, while Zin returns to civilian life, and later gives birth to Masashi's daughter. Zin names her daughter Zen. Zen has autism. This condition uh, grants her the tremendous ability to watch martial artists and mimic their actions. This comes in handy years later when Zin is suffering from leukemia and she needs money for a treatment. Zen, with the help of her friend Mang Moon, try to ra- tries to raise money by collecting the debts of Zin's old underworld contacts, and the two use Zen's martial arts skills when people are reluctant to pay up. This draws the attention of Number 8, who sets his cronies on the tail of Zin, Zen, and Mang Moon. So the cast and the characters, we've got Chija Yanin playing Zen, Amara Siripong playing her mother Zin, and we've got Hiroshi Abe as Musashi. And uh, yeah, director is Pracha Pinkao, and he made Ong Bak, the protector, and also credited with the video game, uh, the protector as well. 
Which I have you played that game? No, I've only seen clips of it on YouTube, and I believe it pops up in the movie Chocolate as well. Uh, yeah, like uh, there's a small clips of the movie, and I I did not know that that was the video game on back, but I can imagine that it is. Yeah, Tom Young Gong video oh, game. Oh, Tom Young Gong. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I I could be getting names mixed up, <laughs> but Tom yeah. Young Gong is the protector. Yeah, and uh. Yeah, we've got uh, two writers, Napoli and Chukyat Sakverical, and um, uh, and cinematography by Decha Srimantra. Um, so he's worked with Danny Pang and Oxide Chungpang on VI, Bangkok Dangerous, both the original and the US remake starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, and I think also, I don't know, I... Uh, I'm sorry if you mentioned this, but Pana Ritikrai was also a stunt choreographer. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I I can't think of any movies that I've seen Hiroshi Abe in. What is he known for in Japan? So uh, Hiroshi Abe uh, was a, initially a model, and then he moved into acting, and he had like bit parts in Survive Style Five Plus. Um. But he's probably best known for working with Hirokazu Koreeda. Oh, and he's also uh, Fermai Romai, uh, an adaptation manga. But he's probably best known for working with Koreeda on Still Walking and After the Storm. And I'm trying to think of what other films he's been in. Uh, but he's yeah, in Hannah and Alice. Pro- he's a prolific actor now. Yeah. yeah. Somehow, he's one of those that his face looks familiar, but I just can't think of what films I've seen him in. It's Yeah, in Japan he regularly takes on leading roles. Um and he also appears in films across Asia. There's one um shot in Malaysia called The Garden of Evening Mists, where um he plays uh the romantic interests of the main character and it's like uh, mixes World War Two with um contemporary uh tale. Okay. Yeah. Um so yeah my uh other films released in two thousand and eight uh include Cloverfield, The Dark Knight uh, Ip Man, The Good, The Bad, The Weird, Tokyo Sonata, Still Walking with Hiroshi Abe, and um, All Around Us. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other Asian films that may have been... Uh, I think The Chasing, The Chaser, was also 2008. A nasty South Korean serial killer thriller. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty. I think, I, in my opinion, underappreciated movie. Yeah, director followed that up with The Yellow Sea as well. Yeah, I don't think the director has quite hit the same highs. But anyway, we're verging our top. Our top. So <laughs> yeah. what is um? So I I I think for both of us, this is a first time watch. Uh, so what did you think of when you uh, finally got to watch this movie? What was your opinion of it? Yeah, I remember the explosion of Thai action movies that happened around the two thousands with Prancha Pinkhouse on back and the protected by never got into them. So this was definitely a first time experience, not just for chocolate, but also I think uh just to interject there, I think the ex- uh, the term explosion might be a bit too generous because I don't think people after I you're right, Ong Back was massively popular. And then The Protector was also massively popular, but I don't think it had the effect of people seeking other Thai movies. I think it was just uh, catapulted Tony Jai to stardom, but I think that's where the explosion ended. Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. I just remember it being in like uh, Asian movie and like um, culture magazines and uh, across like TV reviews um, and so on. 
Uh, so yeah, this is definitely my first uh, exposure, not just to chocolate, but the entire like um, genre, I guess you could say. And uh, I was a bit wary because it has the whole autism angle and that has so many ways it can go wrong. But I actually found it a really simple straight head action movie, uh, which provided great entertainment due to the fight scenes. Um, I didn't find like the fight scenes as thrilling as you get with Hong Kong movies because of the way that they're shot and edited. Uh, but essentially, yes, a uh, simple story. Um, the use of the, like, the, um, autistic savant who picks up skills easily. And that's like a stereotype or archetype that I've, uh, talk to autistic people about and they find it irritating. But I think it's played in a way that isn't offensive and avoids the worst of the stereotypes. I find the fighting really good, like choreography, um, just fantastic. And uh, yeah, Chicha Yanin's just great in the role. It's a fantastic calling card for her. And, you know, minus a toe cutting scene, I feel like you could show this to a wide audience because it's like really entertaining. Yeah, I, I mean, I would largely agree. I think, I think in my uh, again, like I said, this was the first time watch for me as well. I, I I feel pretty lukewarm towards the movie. I agree that the fighting was good, uh, but uh, before that final fight scene, which is essentially like the third act of the movie, it gets a little bit repetitive. We we essentially have three identical scenes. Go to the to the debtor. The debtor refuses for ridiculous reasons or what appear to be ridiculous reasons. Then fight scene uh, that are sort sort of like repetition of each other. There are some change. There is some changes to scenery to, to differentiate them. But I don't feel like you know, like Jackie Chan movies. I don't feel like they use the environment enough uh, in those three uh, first fight scenes. And and I was actually frankly bored. I even wrote this down. Like by the third fight scene, like the third debtor that they do, I felt I wrote down this is getting boring because it's essentially fed repetitive. And of course, the film picked up again uh, in the final fight scene, which I found, um, I found to have uh, I had mixed feelings about it, especially when they brought the other autistic savant <laughs> uh, to fight who had. I, I couldn't tell if I if he had Tourette's or cerebral palsy or or what he had, but it felt I, it felt in bad taste. I mean, and, and again, I don't I don't advocate that they shouldn't have done that or anything. It was it was a creative choice that they decided to go with, but uh, it felt to me uh, a bit exploitative to have like two characters um, with uh, various forms of like autism or Tourette's fight yeah, each other. Yeah, it's exploitative. Exactly. I also was not a f again. There's so many things about this movie that felt terrible. Felt like there was, um, there was almost again. I said the same thing about, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of other Hong Kong action movies, like in the last episode, where there's often too much effort put into uh, the fight scenes or the action, but almost no effort in anything around it. And and a lot of it felt felt like that in this movie. Like again, you know. There's absolutely no reason why the vendors refuse to give her their money. It feels like it's a video game, like they, they are challenging her into a fight just for the sake of challenging her <laughs> into a fight. And, and, and like uh, things like, why would anyone throw a knife at a little girl, like in that first early scene? I, yeah, it's uh, like um, on the DVD there are deleted scenes, and you do see the slaughterhouse manager actually beating up uh, Zen's mother. Um, 
So there's kind of like connections that are lost in the main film. And I think that each of the fight scenes actually contains references to other movies because the like the ice um factory like a reference to like a Bruce Lee movie. And the then, big boss. Yeah. And then it's kinda of like um there's a bit more use of um like the environment in the warehouse. So that kind of put me on the uh, in the mind of um a Jackie Chan movie. And uh yeah, I was actually surprised at how funny some of the fight scenes are in the slaughterhouse there are a lot of um fake outs such as you think she's about to she she's speared the manager of the um slaughterhouse but then cut to a different camera angle and um the spears just missed him he's just got like a a, a spike in his ass because he backed see, up yeah, into it i see yeah yeah so the, i i agree with that but again it's i don't i don't think like like in the first scene where before we get to even fighting where there is a when the uh, moon, what's uh, what's the name of her friend? It's uh, Mang Moon. Mang Moon, uh, where he's trying to make money by showing her catching catching things. There, there's just randomly some kid decides to throw a knife, and you know, in the context of a martial art movies, all that does is it's there to show how badass she is. But if you try to step back a little bit and apply logic, this is rand three random teenagers throwing a knife in the face of random teenage girl yeah did like you how, think that knife looked a lot like the one number eight had to cut off the toe uh i don't i didn't notice that i think and i think if it was it probably was a coincidence i don't i don't think there's a connection there yeah it looked like it was the same design so initially i thought oh my, um number eight's caught up with them but it turned out to have no connection whatsoever I, yeah i don't i think if if it was if you look the same, I think it was just a coincidence. I don't think there's anything there necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the many scenes, there's like, in, I mean, again, maybe there's deleted scenes here, but I, I, I forget if it was the second fight or the third fight. They're just, you know, like they come asking for money. Essentially, again, if you step back, there are two children that are come asking for money and the boss just orders his goons to beat them up. Like, again, you're talking about, like, it, again, it, it, this is, doesn't seem so strange in a martial arts movie because we know what she's capable of. But from the point of view of the, the, the boss, is he's just ordering his goons to beat up two teenage children, two teenagers. Uh, it, just things like that, I don't know, like, they bother me a lot because they make, make even though they're there just to get from point A to point B, point B being the fight scene, there's absolutely no logic for them to exist in the world of the movie. But this is a movie designed to show um, real stars, real action and real injuries. So it's kind of like you have to expect that it's going to go through like martial arts tropes and be that little bit outrageous. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that. I understand that. There is um, uh, what I was going to say, talking about talking about the action... Did you find it, talking about the martial arts, did you find it a little bit slow compared to conventional martial arts movies? Yeah, like I said in the intro, it's not as exciting as Hong Kong action movies. The editing is not as propulsive. There's a lot more measured use of editing, and the director um, tends to shoot wide and hold on the shot. So you can see a lot of the elaborate choreography is um, Chi Cha's moving between multiple opponents and she's doing locks and spins and uh she's doing like taekwondo kicks whirling kicks and it all looks impressive but it's not as kinetic as hong kong action movies 
Yeah, I saw uh, I saw various uh, videos on YouTube about uh, real uh, world martial artists reacting. You know, there are many kinds of videos where experts will react to movies that uh, that uh, deal with a subject that they're expert on. And a couple of martial artists talked about the movie, and they did note also that it feels a bit slow, and they kind of attributed to this being her first movie. I don't know if that's the case or it was just deliberate choice. I think I think even Ong Bak and all of Tony Jaws, I think it's just the style of martial arts that is perhaps a little bit slower. Uh it's more 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 concentrated on powerful hits rather than many faster hits. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, there like um I did watch um Tony Jaws um The Protector after this and I found it did use like what's it? There's this great one uh, long take where he's going through the restaurants to find that's a, his a elephant. Famous, famous take. It goes up, goes up, uh, up the floor, up the stairs of a restaurant. Yeah. So yeah. So it's like just one long take. So yeah, it it seems to be like the director. He likes to show off the choreography. Uh yeah, and choices that absolutely make no sense to me. I think this happens in the very very first fight. Where we ha- we still haven't seen her fight. It's it's you know sort of like a in typical martial art tropes. It's the reveal that a character that we don't really expect is is a master arts genius or whatever. Um, yeah, someone who's autistic and a girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but we see there's a flashback of her watching Tony Jaa movies as she gets like an angry look in an eye. But then like. In the next second, she Im- starts to imitate Bruce Lee. I want, yeah, I wanted more of that in each of the action scenes. That like she's put embodying a particular martial artist. So maybe you get a flashback to like Jackie Chan or something like that. Maybe they couldn't do it because of licensing. Why show that? I mean, it has to be because of licensing. So like, why do that? To have her imitate Tony Jaa. I mean, he's already a war- an international star. Like it seems it makes no sense. Or don't show that. A show a poster of Bruce Lee. I'm sure they can license a poster of Bruce Lee. Or well, they could uh, just like show the back of a television and have like um, Bruce Lee sound effects. Well. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, there's many ways they could have done that. It's it's felt so, and that's that's kind of the thing that uh, that drove me nuts about this movie. There's so many moments like that that I found that just didn't really make much sense. That uh, yeah, like that that was one of them. Uh, and I wrote that down, you know, flashbacks to Tony Jaa, but she ends up imitating Bruce Lee. Why? Uh, <laughs> and then the next one was, who just goes and attacks a little girl with a cleaver? Also, another, another thing, another, uh, sorry, another moment like that, just to, to make my point, is, uh, I think this is in the second warehouse that she beats up people. Uh, again, like she, she goes to her money, and the, the, the owner just makes it like a game. Well, if you want your money... You better get it uh, and orders his goons to beat up a little girl. Uh, and of course, she beats up and he says, and of course, he, he, she's also destroyed the place in, in the process. And the owner says, why would you do all this uh, damage for only a measly 5,000, whatever the, the, the currency is? And uh, the logic there is, well, why don't you just give her the money if it's a measly 5,000 in the first place? Why actually do this? Just because it, this is a martial arts movie. I understand, but it, it just, I don't know. It, it, you have to, the connective tissue is important. It's not just about, you, the audience will not just shut their eyes between fight scenes and 
and, and and just wait for those. Like you have to make the connection tissue somewhat the connective tissue somewhat decent, so it it doesn't. So people like me don't lose their head over it. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the fact that I I noticed some of the same things uh, says a lot. So I'm more easygoing. But um, I'm glad that uh, in some ways they didn't focus too much on the connective tissue and go too deep into the issue of autism because that could have been a real minefield. I, I, so that's another thing that I, uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'm not necessarily uh, dismissing it, but I don't think they go that much into uh, what it is like to be autistic. I think they just uh, use like visual uh, signifiers, like the meltdown, and uh, yeah, also like other other cliches, like the sort of um, inability to use language, which I'm now demonstrating. <laughs> but it's it's not as bad as say the Bruce Willis action of Mercury Rising, I think it's called, where you've got the autistic boy that cracks like the NSA code, and Alec Baldwin. It's like let's send all the assassins in America to go after this kid. That that is just ridiculous. Yeah, I think well they they do that with a autistic fight where you know nobody is a challenge for her, but except another autistic kid. They seem to. Uh, that's why I said I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But no, what I wanted to see, and again, this is not necessarily a criticism of the movie, but it is something that I thought it could be better. Is the challenges of the mother raising an autistic child? This. Uh, as, uh, on the DVD, deleted scenes. Uh, the these were uh, some of the scenes. So, so there was more about dealing with flies. Because I would have liked to see that. And if this is a movie that's not even ninety minutes long, so I don't think like I would have liked to see that. I would have liked to see because I, I, I as someone who has had experience with dealing with autistic children uh, uh, and autistic people in general, it is hard. It is really, really hard. Uh, and and if and if the film starts. With a dedication to to special quote unquote children everywhere, so it makes it a point to be about that, but then proceeds to show almost none of it except how being autistic makes her martial art genius or something. Yeah, like uh, I don't know if you've watched any of the trailers, but one of them has on screen text which is like, "Autism, is it a curse or a blessing?" <laughs> it's kind of like, "Oh no, that's not." That sounds like <laughs> the the wrong way to go about it. Yes, uh, exactly. So, which is why I was glad they didn't lean into it. I have no problem with savantism. It's as, as much of a trope as it is. As much of it is ridiculous to think that someone can learn martial arts from just watching TV. As ridiculous as that is, uh, fine, whatever. Uh, but I would have liked to see the struggle a little bit more. There's nothing. There's a scene where she freaks out that when he sees her mom bald, which is again, I thought the actors did a good performance in 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 those scenes. So no complaint there. But uh, you know, the the, show, the there's a scene where the mother writes a letter. To, to her husband that, oh, it's hard to take care of a special child, but we see none of it. Uh, and I, I was makes me feel like they should have made a better decision uh, on the special scene, uh, on, on, on what they chose to delete and what they chose to keep in the movie, but also confers my suspicion that they did not care about anything other than the action in this movie. Yeah, that, that, this is the way I'm choosing to look at the film. It's a fighting spectacle. And, yeah. yeah. Also, who, who uses an abacus? Nowadays, they the one. This is two thousand eight. They go to one of the boss. I I don't know, remember if it's the first or the second boss, and I wrote this down as well. He's using an abacus, an abacus to do accounting. 
He's an old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, come on, like a pocket calculator, please, please. Well, like the, the only PC. it's. Let me explain. To, that is there so they can have that shot where he throws the abacus at her and the beads just fly in her face because someone thought that was a cool shot. That's the only reason it, that's there. It's not because anybody would realistically use an abacus in business dealing. Again, maybe maybe old men in Thailand are different. So feel free to correct me if that's wrong, but. I'm pretty sure that's why that is there. Yeah, probably. But I, I will. I will say that I worked in a warehouse in Japan, and the boss gave me uh, an abacus. Okay. Oh, but maybe. Okay. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is perhaps a cultural disconnect there that I'm just not not aware of. No, I just uh, think he had a spare one lying around. Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe it was like a a, a status thing, but. Uh, uh, and I, so other, again, other things they should go through that whole thing of make a, making us believe that uh, Mang Moon is is shot, and I and I I just assumed that he was dead at that point. Yeah, it looked like he got shot in the stomach. Yeah, and he's revealed to be mostly unharmed. Just a hostage. Uh, just a hostage. Yeah, that that felt to me like a big middle finger to the audience. It's like all the emotional uh, in, in, invest. Uh, investment that we had in in her getting revenge or whatever they were trying to do is just kind of thrown out the window. Yeah, and that, then they of course have to kill their mother to make her emotionally invested again into the fight because Mang Moon apparently was not enough. Like, oh, this is rising action. Mang Moon's been shot. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like I said, uh, like I agree with you that this is an action spectacle. But uh, if uh, like you said, and I think I, I would feel probably a little bit more strongly about this, that I did not enjoy the action as much as I, like, uh, you know, we, this is the same people that did The Protector, that did Ong Bak, Ong Bak 2, but Ong Bak 2 is worse, is is, a, is not a great movie. But the Ong Bak has some phenomenal stunt scenes. Uh, 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 the Protector has a phenomenal fight scenes, one of which is what you mentioned in... Um, uh, in that one long one take, which to me is is up there with the old boy one take fight scene. Yeah, or or, or maybe even hard boiled. Yeah, but, or uh, uh, the the some of the elephant fight scenes are also pretty impressive. Whereas this movie, I don't feel like it had anything that I will remember in a month. Or or yeah, uh, yeah there's nothing over the top like getting elephant bones to sever tendons or anything like that. But what what I took away from the film was that uh like the stuntmen and chicha yanin just uh, fantastic because they um trained for like two years and then they spent like two years filming it and there's lots of um working in the warehouse for two weeks before shooting a scene and then working on the scene and then actually filming it and uh the complexity of the fight scenes was really impressive and also like some of the stunt work Again, this is like so you watch the outtakes, people are really getting hurt. This is full contact stuff. And uh yeah, people are getting um having to have ice packs. Um like the wire work doesn't go quite according to plan and people are getting injured, including the actress um Yanin. So yeah, I, I as a film designed to showcase her and her talents and like the fighting styles, uh I thought like uh of of Pana Ritakral. Um I thought it succeeded. Ritikai, and I actually, I think. Oh, Ritikai, sorry. And um, I actually did find there was a lot of humour, apart from the final fight scene, there was a lot of humour in each of them, such as when like uh, assailants would throw a knife and it 
I would bounce back and um, hit them, or when she would kick people into air vents. But so you say you say it was a, as a as a project to showcase Jija uh, Yadin talent, which it was. It was. It was. It, the film was created specifically for her. Yeah, to find a female equivalent of Tony Jaa. Exactly, but you, you're right that it does from one point of view, but from another point of view, she never. I don't think she, I've. I looked her up. I, I I didn't watch the films that she did after this because this was her first film. But I did watch clips on YouTube. Uh, I did look information. She never quite achieved the start the the stardom that they perhaps hoped. She certainly did not get to the level of Tony Jaa, not even close. So, I, in to that respect, I don't think this film was a success. She took time out because she was pregnant and she gave birth. Well, that was and... a few years later. It was not. I think she she did a couple of films immediately after this. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, that was that was later, but she just—I don't think she quite achieved the stardom that Ong Bak, that Tony Jaa did, who became an international star. And I don't think the film is as as good to do that because, like we said, it's impressive. It's, there's absolutely no argument there, but it's not as impressive as Ong Bak and The Protector were, which were at that point unlike anything else we had seen in Asian cinema. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of spectacle and uh, over-the-top action in The Protector. I actually found uh, Chocolate much more cohesive and satisfying. Like, The Protector definitely felt like a video game, because you've got different stages and you've got different characters, some doing capoeira and some doing wushu sword fighting. And um, Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And so it came across as like Tekken or Dead or Alive. And uh, the digressions to CG battles in ancient Thailand were just really distracting, whereas here is much more focused in chocolate. Uh, but do you think do you think one of the reasons that why Thai action movies never kind of took off is because it, it takes they put in it takes so much effort and time to actually make them? Yeah, when I was when I, was, uh, when I found out they took two years of training and um, Chicha Yanin was already a Taekwondo master. She was I, I think she was actually teaching it as well. She also knew some gymnastics. Um, she had to learn. She had to learn Muay Thai and um, more gymnastics and working with stuntmen. And it's kind of like you look. You look at the timeline. You think no Hollywood production would take that much time. Hong Kong productions are shot in like a couple of weeks. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, also I because you know like uh, Tony Jaa also took a long time to prepare for Ong Bak uh, uh, and the Protector. Uh, and, you know, when he did Ong Bak 2, the pressure was so much that he had a sort of a nervous breakdown and decided to commit himself to a uh, uh, Buddhist uh, monastery uh, to, to escape the obligation of his contract. Uh, perhaps there's maybe more, more of a story there, but so I'm wondering, you know, with the popularity that... Uh, that uh, uh, you know Tony Jaa had, and you know Chocolate to a lesser extent, it just never quite uh, amounted to Thai cinema becoming perhaps a little bit more, uh, more you know, taking advantage of that sort of initial you know foot in the door moment that it, it was provided with these few films, uh, or was it was it just Panaritikrai's genius, and then he died? And then it just, they couldn't really replicate it. It could be. Pracha Pinkao and um, 
Panaritakrai were like a team together and this is their style of filming to emphasize the combat and um perhaps when he departed um yeah, yeah. it just fall, fell well, apart Tony Jai and Panaritakrai were a team Tony Jai had been a stuntman in many of his films and then they met Pancha Pinku uh, later on, I mean, uh, Ritikrai had been an actor and director for a long time, since the 70s, I think, but essentially low-budget movies that nobody has seen, and probably movies that un are unlikely to make it in the West. I, do you know what? I actually cannot think of any contemporary Thai action movies at this precise moment. Yeah, no, I, and I don't, th I don't think there are. I mean, I mean, Tony Ja has been making movies, but they're just... The the protector two, Ong back three, Ong back four. I I don't know how many, but uh, uh, they just uh, they're just not really. They just don't have nearly the same impact. Yeah, the out the output of the Thai film industry is like romantic comedies, um, bubbly dramas, or serious dramas, or yeah, maybe a few political films. But I cannot think of any action movies. There's probably some. Maybe like big budget buddy cop movies. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I'm sure they are preceded. They're just not making it to the West in the same way that these initial movies made. And that's why I'm asking, why did they not explode? Was it because, you know, was it because of it's just it, it's too much effort? Was it because there was just a limited pool of pool of talent there? Like you take it, like Tony Jaa is a like a, a talent. There's no doubt about that. And it took something like him, and then once he didn't have it in him anymore. There's nobody else to kind of do it. Kind of like Jackie Chan. Nobody can do Jackie Chan. In the last episode where we talked about um, Yes, Madam and uh, Royal Warriors, you mentioned a quote, which was like, um, you've judged the quality of a film industry by like the second tier films that are being made and like quality of Hong Kong action movies are really strong because you've got so much talent available. Whereas it um, can the same be said for the Thai film industry? Also, this was the same time period that the Korean film industry really came into prominence and overshadowed the rest of Asia. I think it's a separate market for, you know, like thriller or art films, which is also both purviews of the, of the South Korean film industry. Uh, but action films and martial arts films, not really a South Korean export. Uh, in, the, in the early days of like South Korean um, films, there were like films like Sky Blue and uh, you, you, they were big budget sci-fi actioners and also action films. So it's kind of like people's, on top of like maybe the difficulties in filming action movies and like um, like people's attentions were drawn elsewhere. So maybe that like that impetus to create more action films just ebbed away. You'd think that with the decline of Hong Kong film, there was a, a, a hole there for someone else to fill. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. And, you know, especially with the rise of streaming services and easier international distribution. I think streaming services were still a few years out because Netflix was like doing DVDs and so forth. So it's kind of like, like, this is still a time when I remember like getting catalogs and importing DVDs like Infernal Affairs and Old Boy from uh, far afield. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, the fact that so many Asian movie websites and magazines were like, you know, check this out, uh, that was like a, a breakthrough for Thai cinema, because like it wasn't that easy to get a hold of foreign films at that time in the early two thousands. You had to import DVDs. We're talking about though. This is two thousand eight. So now we're talking about twenty tens. And I think Ong Back Three was twenty ten. And Ong Back Three was sort of a failure. And that's kind of the last movie that received 
somewhat international attention simply because of, you know, Ong Bak and Ong Bak 2. And Ong Bak 3 was a failure because, again, like I said, Tony Ja had kind of quit in the middle of filming that and committed himself to a Buddhist monastery. So, in actually, like, the complete Ong Bak 3, they used footage, like, deleted footage from Ong Bak 2. Perhaps it was just, like, a question of timing then. It's just the timing was all wrong. If it had been a few years later, when streaming was a, a, a thing, and, um, like, internet sites uh, were much bigger and, um, like, more people were going to Asian movies, then there would have been much more of a, a drive in the Thai film industry to uh, make uh, action movies and to get more talent involved. Or do you think that just in general, martial art movies are just not as popular as they used to be? Do you think there's a possibility there? I, I, it's hard to tell. I, maybe, maybe we're a mainstream audience, but there are diehard fans out there who talk about If Man special id so forth like donnie yen donnie yen's career really began to rise yeah but like i mean if you think about Ip man Ip man is sort of a melodrama and i feel like that aspect of the story is just as important to its success as it is the martial arts uh, maybe it depends upon the viewer i guess yeah i, I mean i was I, I would never be a fan of the Ip man movies but uh I, that's a different issue uh but okay go i mean going back to chocolate i i just did not I don't think it my point my original point uh, seems like a century ago now <laughs> was that <laughs> was that I it did not be it was not a success in the sense that the director's hope of in of making uh, her making uh, Jija uh, a Tony Ja like international star. Yeah, it's uh, I mean it could be a myriad of reasons, including like the decline in Thai action movies, and uh, yeah, she hasn't had. Any major star roles uh, in uh, for a while now, it seems. Yeah, I mean, she's had starring roles in Thailand, in Thai movies. They just haven't had, didn't have the impact um, that they they hoped. So, do you think? Well, yeah, you know, go, you've go made ahead. it as an action star when you're in Expendables. Uh, who who made it? Uh, who was in Expendables? Tony Jaa, right? Uh, yeah, Jet Li, I think. Oh, was Tony Jaa in the Expendables? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, well, he's been he's done American movies. I think with Jason Statham, he's one. Okay. Uh, he's definitely been in American movies. I don't think she has been. Um, uh, but okay. So uh, the uh, the one thing that kind of wrote down in my notes is uh, so this isn't is about female action heroes. Do you think this is a female movie? A female action movie? Uh, there's nothing specific to the female condition. But, you know, you could get the main character as a male. Yeah, I mean, if you substituted a teenage autistic girl with a teenage autistic boy, it, would it change anything in the movie? I think that's the, that's, I mean, that's the problem that I have with a lot of so-called female empowerment movies today, especially like Marvel movies, is that they're not really female movies. They're male movies. They're male, let me rephrase that. They're not female action roles. They're male action roles that just happen to be played by a female actor. And I think this is the same thing. It's a it's a it's a male action role, albeit it's a somewhat unique one, that just happens to be played by a female actor. Yeah, with um, say like Supercop, and um, yes, Madam, there are definitely moments where the female characters face misogyny and had to. Well, I, I, Royal Warriors even more. I think Royal Warriors he actually has a sexuality, which somehow these films feel like you cannot have an action movie without female sexuality. Yeah, with female sexuality, uh, 
that seems to be completely uh, taken out of the equations whenever we're talking about female action movies. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, okay, so I'm, I'm glad we agree on that one. So I don't know that this necessarily is a great example of, uh, of, of our theme this year. I mean, I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we covered it. I, for me, this is largely a disappointing movie. It's just, I, I, I agree with you that it has some great action scenes, but it is, it, there's nothing unique. There's nothing in the actions that we haven't seen before. There's nothing in the action that I think will stick in my mind for anything. I mean, great action movies have action sequences that stick in your mind, even whether it's martial arts movies. We talked about Tony Ja, Jackie Chan films, Bruce Lee films. They have action sequences that stick in your uh, stick in your mind. You know, even Mad Max, Fury Road, has action sequences that stick in your mind, stick in your head, and you remember after a long time. This one, I, I don't know, maybe I'll be proven wrong in a month when I'm thinking about it, but I don't see anything about this movie that will just kind of remain with me. I think, yeah, it's a solid action movie. And, um, like, uh, a style of direction, um, and maybe the fight choreography, like, the style of editing, um, like, doesn't necessarily make it as propulsive as Hong Kong action movies, but you do see a lot of the skill involved with, um, everybody on the camera. Everybody recorded by camera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the comedy that you mentioned, I do agree with you that it has comedy. I don't necessarily care for it. it. I never found myself laughing. Of course, it's not laugh out loud type of comedy. It's just more more like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like moments of levity, right? I don't know. I find myself laughing out loud because they actually okay. caught me by surprise. I mean, maybe that's subjective. Of course, that is a subjective point. But I just, I, I, I didn't. It, it, I, again, I, you know, I, I, I recognize them as there. So definitely worked as comedy or moments of levity rather but it yeah. never felt like uh you know like i never laughed basically that's and you don't yeah. necessarily like that it's it, just because i didn't laugh doesn't mean they they shouldn't have been there or they didn't work but uh it's it yeah, felt to me like subjective. this was a serious action movie yeah this is this is subjective at least yeah. it's not that i do agree it's somewhat serious um Especially when um, compared to the protector, which is just over the top. Yeah, uh, but that's the thing. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, better to go over the top and stand out than just to, you know, have a few good fight choreographers have some good fight choreography in the middle of an otherwise very very forgettable film. But this, I think, it did stand out because people still talk about chocolate. I mean, even though neither of us had seen it, it made the list of films that we should cover. I think, yes, they're right, but they don't talk as much about it. I think people, I, I've never seen it come up in any in any discussions about great action films. The only place that I've seen it come up is, uh, oh, I, that Ong Bak movie impressed me. What are some other Thai films or films by this director and action choreographer that are worth checking out? And of course, Chocolate will be the second or the third that comes in that list. That's the only context that I think Chocolate kind of has kind of stuck stuck around in 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 the zeitgeist. Yeah, uh, I'm being I'm being overly negative. I was because, like I said, I didn't like this movie very much. But uh, perhaps perhaps if I if I had more time to kind of simmer over it. <laughs> Maybe maybe I'll grow a little bit uh, 
more receptive to it. But I just, I don't know. I, like I said, I have, there's absolutely no argument with you that the fighting was excellent. Uh, but it's just, I wanted more. I wanted more because the film seems to promise more. It's, they wanted to make a female action movie. They didn't really. They wanted to make a film about autistic children. They didn't really do that. I mean, they didn't do a terrible job. They didn't offend anyone. They didn't, they didn't uh, overly exploit the autism, but also they didn't really offer anything. Explore it. Uh, yeah, it, 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 the autism is there to give a justification for a fighting skill. That's it. Yeah, they're playing fast and loose with a concept that was being done to death, especially at, uh, at that time. There were like numerous sci-fi shows where like a guy becomes a spy or he has great mathematical abilities, uh, and he can solve crimes. So they're playing fast and loose with the, uh, the concept. But I think this is actually, um, it's, it's not a fantastic uh, uh, um, martial arts movie in terms of like spectacle, but it is entertaining. And I think you can, like audiences will be entertained enough that uh, like they'll come out happy at the end of it. I mean, it's, I think it, you know, for, for that aspect, I think, People would agree with you. Like I said, I was a little bit bored in the middle because it was repetitive, but it does pick up. And the last fight scene is great. I mean, it's a great fight scene. There's absolutely no argument with that. Again, like I said, the 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 fighting scene between the two mentally challenged kids is a bit a bit much, a bit in bad taste. But if you can get over that, it's a you know pretty entertaining final boss scene, for lack of a better term. Well, you've got real actual martial artists in Muay Thai uh, fighting Chicha Yanin, so it's like. What did you think of the sword fight that uh, Hiroshi Abe is involved in? Yeah, I thought it was like a, a, a great diversion from like all the Muay Thai Taekwondo gymnastics moves that we had seen throughout the film. And I thought he acquitted himself really well in his role because I tend to think of him as a, a, a dramatic actor. And uh, yeah, he really uh, showed some action chops. Yeah, I wish I wish he was. I feel like a lot of the issues may have been fixed if he was more in the movie because they also make a big deal out of him in the beginning with that, you know, presenting us glimpses of his, uh, of his uh, background and how he has, you know, he's on the spectrum that we would say that today. Yeah, uh, and especially he's attracted to Zine because of the one imperfection in her eyebrow, right? Uh, they, of course, they, they they show that to death, but I thought that was a great touch. And then they just completely abandon it, and he just comes in the end. I wish, I wish he was more in the movie. Again, in the deleted scenes, you see um, Masashi and his Yakuza contacts in Thailand taking care of Zin and Zen. There are at least two scenes where... Um, oh, in what context? So, number eight, um, attack. well, first off, the Yakuza find a safe house for Zin and um, her daughter. And uh, they're like, uh, call us if you need any help. And then in another deleted scene, number eight after number eight um, cuts off the uh, the toe. Um, the Yakuza storm in and Masashi's on the phone and he's getting all the details and he's like, um, take him to another safe house. So it's kind of like, not much, but it's something more. But I, I this is like, like I said at the beginning, this is like a, a straight ahead action movie. Maybe the director wanted to cut out more of the drama and just focus on the action. Uh, there's also a depiction of trans characters in here, including like the the mobsters right right hand man, right? Yeah, the Thai lady boys. Yeah, and there's like the, she has like a whole posse of them. 
Uh, yeah, that, I thought that was done well because it's you know it's not it's just she's just there and it's like a kind of a, a frisson between number eight's uh, the uh, chief lady boy and um, Zin seems like there's a, a jealousy going on it, exactly there was a, there was a, like a, a backstory there that I thought it was done well it was not over over explained there was not you know overexposed it was just you know there was an implication of jealousy there. And that's enough for that character's motivation. Yeah, you can see it in the sadism of the character, and you can imagine, yeah. like you said, a whole backstory. And she dies, right? She dies by the end. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what else can we say about the movie that we have not said yet? I, yeah, it's actually shot quite well, I found, like in terms of lighting, because, like again, you said it's a bit like a video game, and each battle has different um, dominant lighting, such as the uh, Ice Factory bathed in blue the slaughterhouse bathed in red yeah no i agree yeah it's it's uh it's i mean it's competently shot there's nothing there's nothing negative i can say about it it's uh uh then i think at the end there's like quite a lot of red uh like neon neon lighting yeah yeah uh the side of the building it looks like they shot it like it's a set that's been shot in a warehouse yeah yeah uh and yeah like you said the the scenes that they show at the end the outtakes are just brutal right yeah, like uh, Yanin gets struck in the eye by a kick from a professional Muay Thai fighter, and uh, like she hits a guy, like I guess full force maybe, <laughs> with a like a staff like weapon. Well, it's it like like it had like you know like martial artists do this all the time, but it's very hard to make a kick look strong but stop it right before it hits something, right? Like there's like that th that sort of thing has to happen all the time. Especially in the environment they were fighting in, which is like a like something like her character is not big and strong, so she decides to fight under grating, so to reduce like the area she has to fight in, but that increased the hazards that the um, actors faced. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I just would have liked more references to films, other films, uh, but I did enjoy seeing like. Um, the CG where she's um, looking at people's moves, specifically um, the um, character of Tourette's who does capoeira, and she's picking up on them and she learns to sort of um, mimic and un to, to understand how he moves and to mimic it. I thought that was well done. I, I think the actor who did that was a breakdancing world champion or something like that. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, it was like a bebopping or whatever they call it. So, yeah, again, it's kind of like if you've played um, Tekken or Dagger Alive, you'll play the character with that fighting style. Eddie Gordo, is that his name? Yeah, Eddie Gordo or Zack from Dead or Alive. I think uh, like Gordo was uh, one of the uh, uh, OP characters because you could just mash like a certain button and it would be very hard for others to hit you. What, wasn't he taken out of a few entries of Tekken? I, I haven't played many. I think I've only played one or two of the Tekken games, so perhaps. I think he was taken out and replaced by a female character. I have a feeling. But um, Zack's been there for, like in, new, in every entry, I think. Yeah, even the spin-off that takes place on Zack Island and all the girls are transported in. Like, again, that's like a, a great spectacle uh, video game which draws upon movies. Yes, absolutely. Although I don't think from these movies. Because I think they predate, they predate these movies. Yeah, I think one character is based on Jackie Chan in Police Story. Uh, and then uh, I think at least one or two are based on Bruce Lee. Yes, is it Law? Something, something Law? Yeah, yeah. Bruce Law, I think it's actually called. And or you've maybe, got a tig I, Tiger Mask character. Uh, but okay, all right. 
what else? Anything else that we can say about this film that uh, we haven't said yet? Did you mention the awards in the beginning? No, I didn't. No. Okay, so I mean, it was n- most notably this film nominated was nominated uh, for an Asian Film Award for Jija Yanin as Best Newcomer, which I think she absolutely deserves. Again, I absolutely have no complaint against her, both as a performance and also, you know, her action scenes. I think she does a, a spectacular job. We can argue about, you know, whether this was slower than it should have been or faster, but, you know, as a performer, I think she did great. Absolutely. You can see she's worked very hard. She and the rest of the sort of stunt team. And, uh, yeah, it's such a shame she hasn't had... Um, a bigger career after it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So I think I think this is a good place to end our discussion for uh, uh, for the 2008 film Chocolate. Uh, like I said, I think you enjoyed the film a little bit more than I did. I was a bit disappointed, but that's not to say that it's a bad action film. I just I think I expected more from it. Yeah. Because I, I I felt the film promises more, and I expected more from it. But it's okay. It's I I it certainly it, we can we will talk about all of these. And how they compare to each other at the end of the season, like we always do. I, I think it's possible this will be the only sort of tie entry into the series, anyway. It possibly, yeah. Well, I, you know, maybe something else will pop up. We'll never know. But uh, for now, it seems that way, certainly. Uh, all right. So after this, we are done with our discussion and we can jump into the news for this week. So, Jason, do you have any news for us? So, the major announcements cover two film festivals happening in New York in July. We've got the New York Asian Film Festival running from July 14th to July 30th. Uh, 60 plus films from across Asia have been programmed. Mainland China, Hong Kong, Thailand, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, Philippines, Singapore, Vietnam, North America, and uh, the UK all contribute something. And you've got shorts, features, animated films, and live action. And uh, the festival will open with the Korean film Killing Romance. Um, and also features like uh, The Sunny Side of the Streets. And uh, in terms of Japanese films, um, let me look this up because I actually published a preview article uh, today on my blog. Uh, not trying to put a plug in, but um, yeah, we've got Manhole uh, December by Anshel Chauhan, which we discussed uh, in the Osaka Asian Film Festival um, edition of the podcast. You've got, uh, what else? Mayhem Girls, which is like a action superhero type of movie where high school girls get superpowers. Okiko and the World, which looks really interesting. Black and white uh, Jedi Geki movie by Junji Sakamoto. Um, Mountain Woman by Takeshi Fukunaga, um, who directed uh, Ainu Mosia, which is on Netflix. So yeah, there's a, a lot of films to watch in New York. Um, and also, Louis Ku is going to be honoured with the New York Asian Film Festival's uh, Extraordinary Star Asia Award. Yeah, his film Vital Science will be screened there, and he will be present. And also... Um, uh, yeah, if, uh, Louis Koo, uh you can also watch one of his movies on Netflix right now. It's called um, Warriors of Future. Yes. And so tickets are already on sale. Just head over onto the website. And the second film festival to talk about is Japan Cuts, which runs from July 26th to August 6th. It features 25 films. 21 of those are features, and there are four shorts. And um, 
Yeah, notable titles include the anime The First Slam Dunk, the basketball title, which has been a smash hit across Asia. We've got uh, the non-movie Fish Tail, which, word of mouth, uh, is supposed to be really good. And yeah, uh, and Next Generation Japan cuts um, independent films from emerging directors, and a lot of these uh, were featured at the Osaka Asian Film Festival. Both New York Asian Film Festival and Japan cuts offer in-person screenings. Okay, and of course, nothing surprising there, right? I think I think we pretty much have to to say goodbye to the online festivals. Officially, according to governments, COVID is over, so everybody get back into the cinemas. Yeah, well, I mean, the pandemic is over. COVID is not over. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, I'm being ironic. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm saying even officially, COVID is not over. It's just that the, the pandemic, as the status of the pandemic, is over. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, all right. So, and again, we talked about the New York Asian Film Festival last week, uh, and uh, I'm sure this was not the last time that we'll talk about it. And Japan Cats, of course, we're going to keep up to date with it. So, you you, you mentioned the prices, right? Yes. So, okay. Uh, no, I did not mention the prices. So, in terms of Japan Cuts, uh, opening night film and party, $22 for non-members of Japan Society, $17 for members. Uh, $20 for seniors and students. Uh, centerpiece film and party, $22 for non-members, $17 for members, $20 for seniors and students. All of the screenings, $18 for non-members, $14 for members, $16 for seniors and students. And you can get an all-access pass for $300. Uh, in terms of the small print for that, members exclusive, limited availability. So, um, uh, join Japan Society. Uh, in terms of pricing, I, yeah, I don't, I haven't included that info uh, for New York Asian Film Festival. That's fine. That's all right. Uh, but both are New York, so if you're in New York, it's easy enough to find out. Uh, yeah, we've got. There's also a special weekend of screenings for New York Asian Film Festival, July 21st to July 23rd, at the Barrymore Film Center, Fort Lee, New Jersey. Uh, whereas the main festival takes place at the traditional venue of uh, Film at Lincoln Center. Yes, yes. And I think Japan Cuts is there as well, right? Japan Cuts takes place at Japan Society's Auditorium in New York. Okay, so any other news, Jason? Uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa is remaking The Serpent's Path in France, which is major news, because The Serpent's Path is a really good uh, crime thriller starring Sho Aikawa and Teruyuki Kagawa. Uh, what will it look like transposed to France and with French actors really interested in finding that out? And uh, in terms of the Kyoshi Kurosawa news, Third Windows Films uh, picked up The Guard from the Underground uh, for a Blu-ray release. And I think I reviewed that film a decade ago. But it's a good serial killer thriller. Um, uh, oh, uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, really tall guy, very morose. and he. He's like an ex-sumo wrestler who takes up the job of a security guard and starts murdering people in an office. I mean, if you can't think of his name, there's no chance I can. Yeah, he's in Solitary Gourmet. Oh my word. Oh, I, can't, I can't think of his name right now. But he's a very prolific actor in Japan. Yutaka Matsushige. Okay, and I, I, I don't know him. Yeah, he's oh, very... He, he looks, okay, so his face looks familiar. Yes, I, I know who he is. I've seen him, but I would no way I would remember his name. It's also got um, Ren Osugi, who you'll probably remember from Hanabi as the um, detective in a, ex detective in a wheelchair. Okay, okay. 
and also Taro Sua. So, like a lot of these guys, um, Kyoshi Kurosawa would work with on the V Cinema circuit during the mid nineties. All right. Uh, so, is that it for our news section? Yeah. So, uh, anybody listening, uh, check in on the uh, Twitter uh, uh, side of things because we'll be retweeting news announcements from book festivals. And oh, yeah, we'll try to keep everybody up to date. Okay. Okay, so that, with that done, we can jump into our cultural consumption uh, section. Uh, and uh, I can actually go first this time. We can change it up a little bit. So some of the things that I've... Uh, some interesting movies that I watched uh, since last time. Uh, um, the movie... I watched the movie Moneyball that stars Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill about the baseball coach who uses uh, data analytics to find underrated players. How was it? Uh, it was all right. I nothing, nothing particularly extraordinary, but I thought it was a very good movie for what it was. Yeah. Uh, I watched the new movie Blackberry. Oh, okay. Starring uh, uh, the actor from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, whose name I uh, it's escaping to me right now. He plays Dennis in that show. I've never watched it. Uh, it's a really good show. <laughs> it's a really funny show. Uh, but the, the movie was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, it's a the true sto- a fictionalized, but based on a true story of the rise and fall of the BlackBerry company and uh, device, of course. Yeah. Uh, I watched the documentary, the old documentary, Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. Uh, I don't know why I watched it. I was just feeling like it one time. Uh, it's a documentary about, the, the, again, the rise and fall of Enron. Uh, the company that just manipulated uh, assets and uh, caused an energy crisis in California in order to sell uh, the trade energy stocks or something like that. Like the mechanics were complicated, but it was very, very, uh, uh, very shady uh, what they did in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, with the privatization of the energy sector. Um, uh, I also watched the movie, also, I think this is 99 or 2000, uh, starring Natasha Lyonne, but I'm a cheerleader. And uh, uh, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I think it's a, it's a very underrated movie. I had not seen it before. I had heard mixed things about it, but I love it. It's a deliciously ironic uh, movie about uh, gay teenagers that are, that, uh, are sent into a conversion therapy uh, camp. And it's sort of like deliciously ironic, like I said, but it also has like a fairy tale structure to it. Uh, and just very, very interesting to look at visually. Yeah. Uh, and I also watched the Netflix series Ozark uh, that uh, stars, uh, what's his name? Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. And now that was also a pretty good series about this financial advisor that launders money for, for the cartel. Uh, and it's essentially like a story about him getting out of trouble with the cartel. That's essentially the entire series, him constantly getting out of trouble uh, from the cartel. Cool. It's on um, Netflix, isn't it? It's on Netflix, yes, yes. It's a, I think it's a Netflix original. Uh, and that has been my cultural consumption since last time we spoke. Okay. So um, in terms of my own cultural consumption, um, I watched the Hong Kong thriller One Night in Hong Kong. Um, Directed by Derek Yi. Uh, South Korean uh, drama Peppermint Candy by Lee Chang-dong. British folk horror In the Earth by Ben Wheatley. 
Um, and I marathoned The Days, um, which is a Japanese drama, eight-part Japanese drama about the Fukushima meltdown, um, stars Koji Yakusho. And uh, yeah, it's based, that was really, really well done because um, it shows you what happened to the Fukushima power plants from the tsunami that knocked off the cooling systems and power um, to the plant to like all the technical workers or to There was a movie uh, released. There's been, there's been a couple of movies. Fukushima 50 with Ken Watanabe. The Fukushima 50, that was a Japan cut a few couple of years ago, right? Yeah, and there was um, 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 I think Bolt, which kind of draws upon it's a small independent movie um, uh, with Masatoshi Nagase, where uh, it does draw upon the Fukushima disaster. It shows you like uh, guys try to maintain control of it. This yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I might check this out because I really enjoyed the Fukushima 50, even though it was perhaps a little bit, you know, uh, I, uh, perhaps a little bit romanticized, overly romanticized. Yeah, the, uh, the date is on Netflix, and I think it's a Netflix original. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Maybe you you have mentioned it before. I don't know, but but I, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen I've seen it that it's on Netflix. Not I've seen the show. I haven't. But I enjoyed Fukushima Fifty. I really enjoyed Chernobyl. So that's that's a subject matter that I can always find attractive. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't have a science background, but I still could understand what was going on. Essentially, like trying to cool down the fuel rods because like water is draining from the fuel of uh, um, a fuel rod pools and um, pressures building up. Temperatures are building up. And um, you got top like cast of um, actors like Koji Akasho, Ken uh, Mitsuishi, Mitsuro Fukikoshi, and Fumio Kohinata, and like various groups of people. Do you know if this is a Netflix original, or is it just something that's distributed through Netflix? Uh, I can look it up right now. But um, while I'm looking it up, yeah, great special effects um, and uh, great acting. It says. Uh, produced by Warner Brothers, but it's was all, only released on Netflix, so probably a collaboration. But again, you, there's lots, lots of talking. Very talky film. Hideo, Nak- Hideo Nakata is one of the directors. Yes. Okay. So the days. It looks like it was produced exclusively for Netflix, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like a scientist like you would probably find it really uh, interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I have already added it on my list, on my to-watch list. So probably, hopefully I'll have time to watch it by next time. Uh, did you ever finish Monster? Uh, no, but I got, I got really far. I got like to episode 60 or something. Oh, okay, you, you, you're near the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to finish it. I need to finish that as well. Yeah. Okay, well, like, yeah, that's been my cultural consumption, essentially. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Uh, so that was uh, our uh, cultural consumption section uh, for this episode, and that marks the end of this episode on uh, Chocolate, the 2008 Thai movie. Okay, so okay, so that's it for this episode. Jason, anything you'd like to close with? Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, everybody who's listened, and thank you for the conversation, John. Um, hope everybody sticks with us um, for the next episode and for every subsequent episode. <laughs> And I hope everybody has a good day. All right. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, So as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, please let us know at heroic-purgatory.com or or on Twitter feed at uh, heroicpurgatory or in one word. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. 